I want this morning to give a continuation of the message that I gave on Father's Day, and it was about fruit bearing and the Father's love. And in that message, I uh, focused on one verse for the whole message. It was uh, John 15 and verse 8. I'm going to read that right now, and then we're going to zoom out um, instead of zooming in. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I really like the TNIV uh, reading here. I don't know how the current NIV reads, but it's a very good translation of verse 8, which gives the idea, it shows very clearly that discipleship is a condition of fruit-bearing and not the other way around, that fruit-bearing is not uh, a condition of becoming a disciple. Uh, it's, and so that the message is that when, when God, when, bear, when fruit, when good things happen in our lives that give glory to God, those things happen as a result of our connection to Jesus and Jesus flowing through us and Jesus being a good teacher and that's why it gives glory to God, right? So it's his work in us. And that's a message of grace. It's a good news message. And today I would like to also share the good news but from a different perspective and by zooming out, and we're going to focus more on uh, John 15, 1 through 16, the entire passage. But I'd like to go zoom out just a little bit more, too, beginning with chapter 12. Uh, this whole section, 12 through the end, takes place uh, in six days before Passover. And so it's, it's a period where the action of the gospel of John that begins in eternity past and zooms into the life of Jesus and things that happened during three years in the life of Jesus and then zooms in on six days at the end of the life of Jesus from 12 through 21 and then uh, 12 through 21 yeah and so the uh, and then the uh, chapter 13 and on zooms into just a few hours within that whole picture so here we are we've been talking about you know the incarnation of God and it comes down to into flesh comes down to just a few hours and those few crucial hours are hours that Jesus shared some of the most important teaching that he has to share with us where he opens up his heart to us and begins to tell us of God's care and his love for us and that's a very crucial message for us to get we've got to as someone said one time uh, it's the top button you know, you start with your top button. You know, I, when I was a kid, I would button from the bottom up, and it always end up, you know, kind of crooked, the wrong button somewhere. I'd miss the button. You start with the top button, you button down, and you go, you're good. So uh, uh, God is good, and that is the first button. You see, God is good, and God loves us. That's that's where we want to start. That's the foundation of our lives. And so, in chapter 15, 1 through 16, we have this wonderful teaching. Uh, about the vine, and it is in response to something Jesus said. And I want to uh, first look at chapter 13, the, toward the end of there, uh, where uh, Jesus says in verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now, you... Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. And that was shocking already. 
but he, he jumps in and he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here we can see the relationship between fruit and love, you see, because if it's fruit bearing that gives glory to God and it's love that gives glory to God here by showing that we are his disciples, then those two are related. In fact, what we could say is that the fruit of our lives <laughs> that we're talking about here is love. Love for God, love for one another that's in the focus right now. Of course, love for Jesus and love for the lost. All of this, this love is the fruit of our lives that Jesus comes to establish in us and is why Jesus came to earth in the first place, to express the love of the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. And, so, uh, and so Jesus lays this, this wonderful command on them, but Peter is still you know, caught back before the new command that, wait, 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 that thing that you just said. What, wait a minute, Lord, where, where are you going? It's like, hey, back up a little bit. Yeah, I know that's important, but where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later, which talks, really is, is talking in a kind of a veiled way about that, yes, Jesus is going to die, although they don't realize what he's saying, and you are going to follow later. One day you'll give your life also for me and for my cause and for my people. But that is a whole nother subject for a whole nother day. So Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Those are big words, isn't it amazing? Jesus came to love us, to lay his life down for us. It's Peter who's saying, Lord, I'll, live, I'll lay my life down for you. And so Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Truly, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So talk about the anti-fruit. You know, if it, this is the opposite of the kind of fruit that Jesus is, will talk about. This is the opposite of the love that he was talking about. Peter is going to be so concerned about his own safety and, his own, and afraid because of the situation. Soon he's not going to lay his life down for anyone. He's going to be denying Jesus three times. And that is such a big bomb to lay on the disciples at this moment. It really rattled their cage. And so for the next several chapters, that's why we zoom in to, these, to this time. It's why time slows down because Jesus had said something so shocking. And right before that, it said something so important. He had to slow everything down to make sure they processed through all the emotions so they could get to the message. Has that ever happened to you? You know, you say something, somebody drops a bomb, and it's like, wait a second, hey, we're gonna have to have, we had other plans, we, now we're gonna stop those plans, we gotta talk through this. You know, I've had some situations like that with my wife, you know, where I'll just be going along and you know, I'm saying lots of stuff, and pretty soon she'd go, whoa, wait a second, because I, I just dropped a bomb in all that stuff I said. Here's what Jesus did, too. So it takes, you know, three, it takes several chapters to get through that, 
to, to, to clear it all out. And this part in chapter 15, verses 1 through 16, is part of processing through this. If Jesus is going to be leaving and they can't follow him, that means he's going to be dying. And they know that they're in a very difficult situation, a very scary situation. They've come down from Galilee where they could elude all of the, the authorities pretty easily. And they've gone down into the territory where the authorities are. They, they can't elude them so easily. So they know that they're in danger. If Jesus gets by himself, he's, he's going to be, giving, he's going to be uh, putting himself in severe danger. So Peter, that's why Peter said that he would go with him and lay his life down for him. So they need to be reassured of Father's love. They need to be reassured that God loves them and that they will be okay even after Jesus has died and even after they no longer see him. And so that's what this whole part is about. It's about getting them ready to, so that they will be okay. And they'll know that they're secure in Father's love. They'll know that they can rely on his love. Have, have, you know, we all need that message ourselves in our lives, right? I need it. In fact, it's the, it's the very foundation of our need. When you build a house, the foundation has to be right. If the foundation is not right, the whole house is, is a mess. A friend of mine uh, told me about a, a, a builder who builds uh, in up north and where the, the uh, ground freezes in the wintertime. And uh, uh, one of his uh, friends had built a house and they built it a little bit too early in the wintertime when the ground was still frozen. So they poured the foundation, they built the house, it was a beautiful house until spring, late in spring, when it began to thaw, the cement had not set, and the whole house just sort of twisted, you know. It pulled, the, it pulled it had a beautiful uh, circular stair step, pulled that away from the upper room, you know, the, the, the upper mooring. Uh, the door jams were all a mess. Uh, it was just terrible. Then the, then, then the cement set with the uh, bad foundation. And uh, so... <laughs> Uh, the, he called the, the builder in, and the builder said, well, the, the wall is twisted, and the door frame is definitely um, out of whack. It's, out of, it's, it's really crooked here, but that's not your main problem. And he went through the house. Hey, you know, look, the stairway is pulled away from this mooring in the second floor, but that's not the main problem. Let me show you what the main problem is. He went down to the basement, and where the foundation was, the walls were bulging and the whole thing had shifted and twisted. He said, this is the problem. The problem is the foundation. And this is our problem too. If we don't have our lives set on the love of God for us, we've got big problems. And my problem is, and it may be yours, I suspect, is that I have this, uh, this, this orphan spirit, I like to call it that looks at God as an orphan looks at someone else's father, you see. And, and so when I look at that guy, you know, he may look good, but I'm just watching 
for that moment when he's going to step out of character and prove to me that he's not really my father. Now, I wouldn't say it that, that way. That's not the religious way to talk about it. I'd put it in religious terms, you know, make it really dress it up nice, but it all comes down to that. And so I have this problem, and it even makes me read Scripture in a certain way, so that when I read Scripture, I'm reading it in a way that really confirms my orphan expectation, you see. Because an orphan feels like he's a, he's a child of wrath. He looks at God as a God of wrath. It's always going to, if you watch out, if you don't watch out, God is going to all of a sudden change character and be very different from Jesus, you see. So uh, let's read this passage and, and let's see. I, I know I'm playing with you here. I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm really going to mess with your minds here for a little bit. Let's, we're just going to read this passage. We're going to catch ourselves and maybe catch some others, not just us, in that orphan spirit, okay? Uh, 15, 1 through 16. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even bear even more fruit, be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, even as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever, so, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The reading of the word of God. Amen? Now, uh, the way this is usually translated is the, what the NIV does here, and it's really a great translation in almost every respect. I'm, I work in Bible translation. That's what I do. And so uh, we get a chance to, you know, to slow down, and, and uh, we get a chance to consider backgrounds. And, and I, you know, one of the things I realize, I love to plant plants I love, for, I love gardens. I love, uh, let's see, is Roger here today? Yes, Roger. I love the gardens Roger makes. 
he's, a, he's an amazing gardener. Yeah, he's a pro at, at gardening. I am not so pro. You know, I, uh, my gardens tend to end up in failure at some point along the line. I need to take some lessons. But uh, I have successfully recently planted a couple of apple trees. And I feel very proud of myself for, for those apple trees. About four or five years ago, I planted a little Fuji apple. And when I got it, it had a beautiful picture of a red apple on it. And I'm glad that it had the picture. It was a scrawny looking apple tree. <laughs> and uh, I kept the picture on for a long time. <laughs> I was hoping, <laughs> you know. Well, the first year we didn't get any apples. The second year we got a few apples. Then we planted another tree next to it and they got along really well. It's a different kind of apple. And so they help one another out. Cross pollination and all that's really good. And so this year we had 54 apples on those two trees. Woo! Isn't that great? Man, I was so happy. And, uh, and of course, there's some pruning and caring that, uh, that, that goes along uh, where we have to, you know, kind of thin it out. And the same thing is true for uh, grapevines. You know, the whole point of grapevines in the Middle East is wine. <laughs> and uh, so you want to have really good grapes. You want to have grapes that are intense in their flavor. And you want to have uh, big grapes, you know, the, the biggest, biggest you can get. You don't want to have too many grapes so that they're diluted. And you don't want to have grapes that have been growing in soil that's too fertile or even too wet. In fact, poor soil and dry conditions is best for the vine because the vine has to struggle to give good fruit, abundant and good fruit. If the vine doesn't struggle, it becomes lazy and the fruit is poor. It, be, it makes bad grapes. And so, or, uh, and so this, is, this is one of the reasons why you find vine growing in places like the hill country where the soil is really not great, you know, and, uh, and why they don't grow so well up here in uh, North Texas. Uh, there are a few grapevines, but uh, they don't grow well. Only a few varieties will grow around here. And uh, uh, like the Spanish black and that will grow in more alkaline soil. But... Uh, but the sandy, dry conditions, that poor soil, is really uh, good for grapes. And in the springtime, and remember, this is Passover time for Jesus. He's, he, they've been walking through grape, vine, grape vineyards and, and uh, other places where there's lots of flowering and growing things. It's in the middle of the springtime. Uh, if you, uh, I've been to uh, the Holy Land in the springtime. It's the only time of the year that it's green. <laughs> Just right around that time. And then it, everything turns brown. All the grass is gone, and the whole summer long it doesn't rain. Uh, but during that early springtime, up until around uh, mid-April, uh, you have rains and you have uh, you know great time for growing things. And uh, the the vines begin to burst out of their dormancy that's been enforced on them because at the end of the growing season, when they after they pick all the grapes, they strip the the vines bare, completely bare. Uh, any, uh, any of the branches that have become detached because of, uh, uh, because of bad conditions, say wind or, or, or storms, they pull away because uh, they're useless now. They're not attached. And, uh, and then they strip everything, all the, everything down to the wood 
at the end of the growing season and put the plant into dormancy. In the spring, there are two kinds of branches that uh, are particular care of the, uh, of the gardener. And the first kind of branch is uh, a new growth. It's a new cane, first-year cane. And, that's, and the, the canes that were first-year canes last year have been trained and put up on the trellis. Uh, trellis gardening was uh, brought into uh, the Middle East by the Romans, who really uh, were good at that kind of uh, farming. And so they helped uh, the Middle East become a very, very good wine-producing country, even better than it had been in the past. But if you look at a vine, uh, you'll see that it kind of twists around its trellis. Well, it twists around its trellis because it has a gardener. That when the uh, first year cane grows, at some point along the time, it li he lifts that first year uh, uh, that first year cane and he puts it up on the trellis and he ties it there so that it will grow. Next year it's going to be wood and it will plant, it will actually produce fruit. But this year it will not produce fruit. So there are non-fruit bearing branches on the vine and they are necessary to have an ab abundant fruit. For this year, next year they're going to bear fruit. The, the ones that have already been trained up there and put on the trellis la from last year are now going to bear fruit and they'll have lots of little buds that come along and they have to be cleaned. Uh, the vine is very susceptible to disease. It can get all kinds, you know, bugs on it. Uh, it can have all sorts of, uh, um, uh, what do you call that, uh, fungus get on it. Uh, it, root rot, various types of things. So the, the gardener has to pay special attention. And in those days, they didn't have uh, um, uh, sprays, you know, like we have, like insecticide, nervous, all that kind of thing. So uh, they had to pay careful attention. They had to do a lot of handwork. Uh, and the, the gardener then will also pick off some of the buds uh, that are going to produce fruit because you don't want to have too much fruit. You want to have just the right amount of fruit. You don't want to have too many leaves. You want to just have the right amount of leaves. Okay, so that's the work that they do. What's, a, what's really interesting, even reading stuff from back in the Roman times, was the types of non-fruiting uh, branches that were left on the vine. Now, that seems to contradict what's going on in this passage. But don't get alarmed. We're going to... We're going to resolve this problem in a second. I've had problems with this passage in the past. I have to be honest. And the problems I've had are between verse 2 and what it says later. Because later it says over and over again, Jesus says, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in my word, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. But in verse 2 it says, uh, the, it, it says, uh, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And that just didn't make any sense to me. Why would it say remain in me if it says he's going to cut off the branches that don't bear fruit? That's weird. I don't know if that strikes you as weird, but that strikes me as weird. And in my... Uh, my orphan spirit, I often read this as a threatening God. Why in the world, oh, would he do this? I don't bear fruit, so he's going to cut me off. Is that what it is? 
Well, it was because of questions like that that I learned Greek. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It doesn't say cut off at all. And in fact, there's no cutting in this whole section. The word cut doesn't appear here. The word is adi. Can you say that? Adi. And the word for prune is kathari. You see the sound? Say kathari, kathari. It sounds like catharsis, right? Because it comes from the same root. Adi means lift up. In John 8, 29, for example, it says, and they picked up stones in order to stone him. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they cut off stones or anything like that. They, they picked up stones to stone him. Now, Adi can mean to pick up and carry away. So in that way, it's possible that it could mean uh, that someone actually cuts them and carries them away. That's, that's a possible you know, meaning, but it's a stretch if you know something about Vidi culture, which is what we're talking about this morning. Okay, the, the cultivation of vines or viniculture, the cultivation of vines for making wine. Well, uh, so the passage actually says in the Greek that every branch in me, in me, and notice they're connected to Jesus, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what? He lifts up. And that is exactly what gardeners did and still do. Those new growths that seem out of control, that seem to go in every different direction, he takes them and he, he trains them onto the trellis because, and ties them down because next year they're going to provide the wood and the fruit. Okay? And this year, the one that's already been trained, he makes sure it's clean so it, pro it provides optimum, tasty, wonderful fruit and just the amount that is needed, that much fruit that is needed. Now, let me tell you, that's good news. Because sometimes, you know, I've, and, and I have to confess that uh, you know, regular church members like us are not the only people that struggle with the, uh, with the orphan spirit. Translators struggle with the orphan spirit. And I think the problem that we have is that people often expect when there's a negative thing that looks negative, God is actually going to be very severe with us. But you see, that negative thing is really not a negative. It's necessary to go through that training time to get to the fruitful time. And that gives glory to God, you see, because that's the work of Father God. What we have to do is realize the big picture here. That's why I zoomed out, we zoomed in, we zoomed out. And in chapter 16, I think it's verse 27, it says, it says the Father himself loves you. You see, it's not like there is some other God who's different from Jesus back behind Jesus and Jesus has just given us a good face and holding us off while the other God is really who God is. Uh-uh. The Father is just like Jesus, and Jesus is just like the Father. And so he, this whole passage is about God's loving care for all of His disciples, wherever they are. If they are 
new and they're wild in their growth and there's just all kinds of stuff going on. There's going off in every, every new direction. The Lord then is taking them and he's lifting them up and he doesn't want them trailing down on the ground. He wants them to be up in the air, getting plenty of sunshine so they won't get diseased. And he knows that eventually they're going to bear fruit. You see, the main purpose of this whole passage is remain in me. That's what it's about. So this morning, I know uh, we're, we're over time, but I want to uh, ask you to stand up. We're going to respond. And uh, the response this morning, I want you to just lift your soul to the Lord this morning. You can close your eyes if you want to. I'm going to ask the, the uh, ministry team to come on down. And I want to ask you to lift your soul to the Lord and, and just confess to him. Just say, Lord, Father, I know that you are good. So why don't you just respond? I know that you are good. Okay, let's say it loud like we mean it. I know that you are good. And so much in me paints a picture of you as bad. And so much in me paints a picture of you as bad. Say that. So much in me paints a picture of you as bad. I turn away from the orphan spirit this morning. I turn away from the orphan spirit. And I say, you are my father. I am your child. Your son, your daughter. Fill me with your love. Lord, I want to remain in Jesus. I want to remain connected to him. Thank you, Lord. Now, you can open your eyes. The reason why it's so important to come back to this place is that there are so many storms that come against us things that challenge our connection to Jesus. Severe loss, depression, loss of a job, illness, falling out with some brother or sister, someone in your family, desire to keep control in your marriage instead of pouring yourself out and loving. All kinds of things put us in that place where we're saying, should I go or should I stay? Just like that song by Clash, you know, from back in 1982 that's been covered by Maroon 5 and others. Should I go or should I stay? Just like the disciples. They were about to go through a huge storm. The loss of Jesus. And they were going to be coming up again, you know, with that question, should I go or should I stay? But the answer is, as I grow, as I go, I must stay. So I'm not going to be going away. I'm going to be going in the love and the power of Jesus. That's what, that's what Jesus is calling us to do, to go and bear much fruit. So we stay while we go. We stay while we go. Yeah, the Lord wants us to spread our wings and do great things, but he wants us to stay connected to him. So this morning, if this message is is touching your, your heart and you're saying, you know, I really need to get back to that place 
of intimacy and holding on to Jesus. And this message has challenged me. I invite you to come on down and get prayer. You know, if you're feeling like you need to be lifted up, you know, things are, are wild or out of control, you need to be lifted up, you know, and, and you see, you know, that it, there's a fruitless time going on, but there's just so much going on, you need to be lifted up and you need to be, re, you, you need to be put up there and trained on that trellis. You need the correction of God in your life. Hey, that's okay. Just come and get some prayer. If you are, you know, you've been fruiting, you're a fruitful disciple and you're looking forward to an amazing time, you know, you you still have to look at at your life and say, am I clean? Am I, is is the Lord keeping me clean? Am I coming to him and is he, am I allowing him to clean me? All of us have this need. So I just want to encourage you to respond in any way that seems appropriate to you. In the name of Jesus, thank you.